It seems like only last week we were looking back at the 1920 campaign, but already welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's 2021 season preview. Such a packed schedule requires squad rotation, and to that end, both Jonathan Bradley and Michael Sadler have been rested for this week in favour of Adam McHenry. Hello. Hello. And Richard Mulligan. Hello. We'll look ahead to what's in store for Ulster in the coming campaign then, as well as their hopes and aspirations, and which players might make the biggest impact this season. We've also got the first outing to preview as Benetton visit the Kingspan Stadium on Friday evening. We're all very, very excited about that one, I think. Uh, first of all then, Richard, welcome back. Yes, good to be with you again. Is this, um, is this the, your... From the fairways of Castle Rock to... Uh, oh, look. The good old Zoom meetings once again. <laughs> well, you're, uh, is, this your, is this your hat-trick appearance or is it your second one? I couldn't remember. I was thinking that we should have had a we should have had a match ball to present you for your hat trick. Um, your cat's not the bigger. First time I've ever been the podcast with you, I think. Oh, there you go. It's a first it for everyone. No, I think it is the third. I think it is the third. But, right. um, I'm, I'm still behind bigger than Mark Robson, aren't you? I think probably just about. But you're catching up. You are getting there? Yeah. I think you. I think you've drawn level with Mark Robson. Uh, so quite possibly. That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. good. You're moving up the charts. So here we are then, the cusp of a new campaign already. So I suppose we should begin then with the general hopes or expectations for Ulster on in this coming season. Given what's happened over the last couple of years or since Dan McFarlane took over Adam in terms of that return to knockout rugby and what do you think Ulster's when Ulster sit down to discuss this season, what will they be saying this is the minimum requirement for this season to be? Well, the, obvious goal, the obvious goal from a progression standpoint is to keep on taking steps. So you've seen them take steps from McFarland's first season where he made the semi-final of the Pro 14, the quarterfinals of Europe. Last season he made the final of the Pro 14 and the quarterfinals of Europe. This season he'd be expecting that he could hopefully take them either to the Pro 14 title or to the semi-finals of Europe or ideally both and then further. So from that standpoint, I think the obvious progression is using what they've done the last two seasons as a benchmark and then taking it on a step further. Um, we talked about it a lot before we got into the knockouts last season and uh, everything was made about how would you judge Ulster's progression from one season to the next. And it was all about can they take that step from semi-finalists to finalists, from quarter-finalists to semi-finalists. So I think that just carries on another season. I think that just goes from 1920 to 2021, where in order to judge how this team is progressing at the highest level, you've got to judge it based on where they finished this season. And especially whenever you consider that Conference A isn't an overly strong conference in the Pro 14. Ideally, you should be finishing at worst second um, Leinster will be very hard to topple in first but mm. they should really be aiming for first I, I don't think they should be aiming for any lower than second uh, in Conference A so then you look at the you look at the uh, the knockouts as where you really want to be and now Ulster are in a position where they've had the experience of knockouts you can't say that getting to the knockouts is 
good enough for Ulster anymore because they've done that. They've had two years of that. They've got that under their belts now. Now they've got to be winning knockout games. They've got to be getting deep into competitions. So this year is the first year where I would really say that they have to be really aiming for a deep knockout run rather than Mm. just being content with reaching the knockouts. Um, And then you look at the squad as a whole. Uh, I think one of the things that they really start need to start doing and something that I don't think they have any excuses not to do, especially this year because of the coronavirus, you're going to need a very deep squad. You've got to start bringing those young guys through. You've got to be looking at the academy. You've got to be saying, okay, who's coming through? Who's really pushing? Because where else are still slightly lacking whenever you look at, uh, at Leinster, at Racing, at uh, some of the other sides in Europe, uh, your Claremonts, your Saracens prior, prior to being relegated, where's their strength? Their strength is in their depth. So Ulster need to start bringing through these young guys, and we'll talk about them a little later on, so I won't get too much into that, but they need to start bringing them on and creating that deep squad. That's, those are sort of probably their two checklist items for me this year. Do you think, Richard, that's arguably the more important thing for Ulster this season in terms of progression of performance, progression of squad, because to win a trophy still... Like if they're sitting down and saying this is when we're going to plan to win a trophy, it's probably not. Like if they were to win a trophy this season, it would probably be ahead of schedule. I would say in Dan McFarlane's mind, they're thinking we'll be, we should be aiming to win a trophy in two or three years' time. So in that terms, is the are the performances are working on their strategies of play and working on bringing those players through? Is that more important than whatever round they reach? Yeah, I think that's what. I think that's what Dan has been doing in recent... In his two terms already, I think that's happened. I mean, you look back at the 2012-2016 Ulster sides where they were in a similar situation as to where they are now. They were they were making finals. They were making playoffs. Strength and depth. We always say that Ulster's strength and depth has improved, and there's no doubt about it that it has. Um, but if you lose a key player like in a, a tight head prop or a centre, then you... You're, going, you're dipping down a bit more, and then you realise, well, we're not as strong as we thought we were, whereas Leinster can possibly field three teams, and they're all nearly as good as each other, um, just the way that they have the ability to play well together and, and, and just mould in. Um, so I think, yes, I think Ulster are probably still a, are still a bit away from maybe lifting silverware, and they're, they are going in the right direction. And I know it's difficult. If you look back at the last five games that they played, they've had one win in five games. Now, one of those was a final and one of those was a quarterfinal in Europe. They've backed up the European Cup quarterfinals. I think one target Ulster must go for this year is to get a home quarterfinal in Europe. Mm. That well, That is progress to me. You get a home quarterfinal in Europe, and I think then you can realistically say, yes, we can make a semi-final now. And, and that's the progress they've got to make in Europe. Um, in terms of the pro. Pro 14, or will it be the Pro 12? I mean, we're still very oh, much yeah. in the air around the, the South African teams. I know that the Cheetahs are going to be playing in a new, I think it's a Super 7 competition. You can correct me, Adam, about this, but I think it's a Super 7 competition. Yeah, you're spot on. Yeah, the Kings, well, I think they've gone um, as such. So I know that Pro 14 have made a statement and said, look, they're hopeful that they can bring them in, but the half the season fixtures don't include South African teams. So how are you go, how are you going to integrate South African teams in? I think we're we're looking mm-hmm. at a pro twelve this year. So um, that will make it interesting to see how that how that all all works out. Yeah. Um, but for me, Ulster Ulster need to be making probably the Pro 14 final again this year. Um, and yes, look, if if they 
win it. Um, I know everybody's looking at Leinster, and, and, and they are a phenomenal squad, a phenomenal side, and they probably will be the favourites there again. But Ulster are a force to be reckoned with, and that's important that they have the respect of that, that they, people will know that when they play Ulster, they're going to have a very difficult game to come across. Mm-hmm. Surely in, in terms of reaching a final this year, it's going to be difficult given that realistically they're not going to finish top of the pool. So you're going to have to win an away semi-final again. Well, I suppose it was which, tough, tough last year, and they did it or last they, year, last I month. Mean, I mean, which they managed to do this year, and it's a rare thing. And away semi-final win in the Pro 14 is, is a rare thing, anyway. I mean, Ulster experienced it themselves at home losing. So, um, you know, and that was probably one of those performances where they pulled it out of the hat. Um, I think we all kind of watched that game. And, I mean, Adam would be the same as me, thinking that you know at halftime, um, I think. And Victus was on BBC One that night, and I was nearly going to flick over and uh, <laughs> watch the rest of that. Rather than I thought, "Oh, sir, looking doomed here, you know." But yeah. I was in the stadium, and I nearly switched over to Invictus. <laughs> exactly, you know. And I think that's away wins in the Pro 14 will come easier than away wins in uh, in the European Cup. But yeah, I think Ulster. They need to make a good start. I think this key, and we saw that from last. I mean, it's been very difficult. Last season was so difficult with the with the lockdown and and, and everything that happened. Um, it was so important to be in the position that Ulster were come that time that they were able to progress. And look, they played two games, their last two fixtures of the season, and they really qualified for the semi-finals. Maybe that had a bearing on it. I don't know, but they certainly turned it up in the in the semi-final. And unfortunately, against Leinster, they just couldn't find their find their straps again. Yeah. I'm really interested to see how Ulster start this season coming off the back of those five games at the end of last season because if there's any team that needed a pre-season like a proper pre-season coming into this season it's Ulster and they're not going to get it they have to have this quick turnaround from five under par performances you can say the second half or pretty much the last 20 minutes in Edinburgh was the only time they really looked convincing as a team and now they're having to go straight into a new season uh, where you know expectations are high again they're going to be expected to be one of the competing teams and yet they haven't played a good game since lockdown started or a good 80 minutes since lockdown started so it'll be really interesting to see what have they done in this week off in this week leading up to the Benetton game to turn that around because they really need to have a real sit down meeting and just say look guys clear the slate those five games, we weren't at our best. New season, put all that behind you. Let's go again. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of mentality, what kind of performance they produce on Friday night. I think Adam hit the nail on the head there about expectations as well. We now have high expectations for Ulster to do well, whereas perhaps in the past three three seasons anyway, you know, you come into the start of the season, if you go back again to the 2012-26 that I was talking about earlier, you were saying, oh, there's high expectations for us to do really well this season, and then they maybe didn't do as well as you expected. Now the reality is we are expecting Ulster to really move forward, and they have to deal with that as well. And mentally, it's been difficult over lockdown and those five games. I mean, they put in, as you say, Adam, 20-minute performance over the five games, and it's how, they, how they're able to move forward from mm. that. And I'm sure Dan McFarland has a plan. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Before we, we leave the expectations, you mentioned Europe there and getting a, a home quarter final this time, which certainly would be progress. Does anybody want to have a go at explaining the new format of the European Champions Cup? Well, not, not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
<laughs> Why has it changed? What was wrong with it before? Well, I know they've added four teams, but like. It's, it's just one off because of the. Oh, okay. And how the season's going to be structured. Okay. This isn't to stay. Oh, good. Good. It sounds a nightmare. The good thing for Ulster is that they're a tier one side. So getting to the Pro 14 final qualified them as a tier one side, and they will play against tier four qualifiers, is my understanding of it. Yeah. But not from, but not from within their own domestic leagues. So yeah. Then the 14. That's or is it, no, sorry, from within their jurisdiction, or is it in the league? Adam? I think it's. Uh, I think it's it league. Is. Yeah, it is. It's league. It's league. It's definitely yeah. league. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, you've got to look at it and say. Ulster are a tier one side, and if you recall the time Ulster went through their group with six six wins and were the number one seeds and ended up playing Saracens, just as Leinster <laughs> did this year as the, yeah. the, the quarterfinals. So sometimes the rankings can be a little bit askew because you don't know. I mean, you could end up to lose, could finish as the number eight qualifier from France, that type yeah. of way, you know. know. Um, so, but you would expect Ulster to do reasonably well in the situation they have found themselves. They put themselves in a strong position, and you can't ask any more than that. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. If anybody wants to explain how it works, you can uh, let us know. Um, to be fair, Ernie and myself to blame. Johnny, the last two podcasts, Johnny has said to ask him about it, and he'll explain it. And I forgot both times, so so uh, <laughs> you will get him to do that next week, maybe. Um, Johnny summed it up really well in a tweet when he said, "If you can understand how the." Cookery Ulster Rugby Championships worked in the domestic league, then you would have no problem understanding how the picture worked. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I totally concurred when I saw the tweet, I burst out laughing. That is the best explanation I have heard for it. To be fair. So, well done, Absolutely. So, we'll throw in our first listener question here then. It's the weekly donor who, uh, well, he says, hysteria from Southern media over Leinster's loss. Uh, to Saracens has given way to framing Ireland's impending doom in November. It's all a bit much, he says, but certainly the power game seems to be increasingly important. So he wants to know, do Ulster and Ireland have the power to survive and thrive this season? It's an interesting point and there's a lot of different theories as to how teams can thrive if they don't have power. Ulster and particularly a powerful team. If you look at that pack, there aren't too many real dynamic ball carriers. Ian Henderson and Marcel Katsia are probably the two guys you would say could really truck it up through the middle and make some real damage. The rest of them are very much flair players. But I'll take you back to whenever Connacht won the Pro 12. Connacht, I wouldn't have said, were a very powerful team. I wouldn't have said they had too many big ball carriers. I'm trying to think back. John Muldoon is the, is the one that springs to mind as a big ball carrier. But for the most part, they won that, that tournament by being fast, by playing slick rugby, by offloading, by just basically keeping teams on their toes and never really staying still. Teams can still thrive like that. You know, Ulster, whenever they played Toulouse back in, what was it, 2015, I remember them talking in the build-up of how they just needed to move the Toulouse pack back and forth across the pitch, and that's exactly what they did, and it paid dividends. They won that game 38-0. So while the par game has become a lot more pronounced now, and it certainly is a very effective weapon, you know, you look at what Toulouse did to Ulster uh, in the quarterfinal there, where they just sort of ran over the top of them, and then whenever they got it wide, there was space for Colby and Ramos and Uge to work in, you know, there definitely is a shift generally in rugby union at the moment to the par game. And you've seen that from international with the All Blacks, with the Springboks, 
down to the club game. But that's not to say that you know one size fits all. It, that doesn't mean that it will necessarily work because every team has their weaknesses. If you fill your pack with big guys, big guys who are good at carrying, well then, if you keep the pace of the game up, you should be able to find some gaps where they can't fill in. If your team is quite small, generally, you will be run over the top of. So it's all about finding weaknesses. And this is this is where strategy and tactics come in. You know, if, if there was... If there was a way for a team to have no weaknesses, if the power game had no weaknesses, then everybody would play it. Everybody, every team would go into their academies and say, bulk these guys up. Just make, make these guys into massive ball carriers and nothing else. If, if the power game had no weaknesses. But you need your athletic guys. You need your, uh, your guys who are good at the breakdown. You need your guys who are good at the lineup. You can't just fill your team with big, powerful guys. So... While the power game seems to be working, it will shift eventually. You know, teams will work out the weaknesses in the power game, and the shift will come where teams will start going back to a more athletic style, to a more fast-paced style. So I, I wouldn't say that may, maybe for a year or something the power game will win out. Maybe Ireland will struggle for a while. But, you know, Ulster are a team on the up, and they're not playing a power game. Mm. So maybe maybe they need to add a couple of powerful ball carriers to that pack to sort of equal things out. But I wouldn't say like this power shift is necessarily you know taking some teams out of the equation. I think there's just a realization that you need that balance, and some teams are striking it better than others. Because if if you look at teams across Europe and, and across the international stage, not no team only has big ball carriers. You know, that every team has those, you have that diversity within your squad that you can do so many things. And I'll, I'll use Toulouse as an example. You've got your big ball carriers. You've got Famuina. You've got Talafu. Uh, you've got Takori. Okay, those are your big guys. Those are your main three in that in that pack for carrying. Bovaco is another good one. But then you look at uh, Kaino, who's sort of a jack of all trades. You look at Crow, who's uh, the great breakdown operator. Rory Arnold ran the line out fantastically. So there you've got pretty much all your facets covered without making your pack completely a par pack. So the, the par game is certainly on the up. I wouldn't say it's the only way to win. I think there's ways for teams to work around it. There's ways for teams to counteract it. Uh, and eventually teams will probably start shifting back towards this uh, fast offloading style at some point in the future. It ebbs and flows based on coaches. Thank Adam, you're... You're right in what you were saying about Toulouse there, for example. And if you look at Toulouse and Exeter on the weekend, you were looking at Toulouse thinking, right, they're probably going to win this now. And then Exeter changed their game completely. You take Racing and Saracens. I mean, Racing have a big power powerhouse, but it took a bit of finesse from... I mean, Ben Russell's kick was mustard just, you know what I mean? And, and to do that in a game when he did. So it's, it's getting the balance right. Um, and I think, yes, you saw Saracens overpower Leinster in the quarterfinal. You saw Toulouse overpower Ulster in the quarterfinal. But if a few things had stuck elsewhere in those games for the, other, for the opposition, it might have been very different. Um, on the international scene, it's, it's another step up again. Um, but I think the new breakdown laws and things are making it a more... It's a, it's a faster game. And I think the power shift change... May, the powerful, powerful teams might find it difficult to keep up to pace this year with those new tweaks mm. to the laws. It'll be very, very interesting. 
Yeah, well, certainly be interested to see how it all impacts it. It's going to be a strange season. We knew that, obviously, and a strange start to the new season, not just because it's it's so late, but with uh, all the tweaks to the World Rugby calendar. Just how much, Adam, over the next, what, two months or so, will Ireland have their international players available in terms of the Irish ones and Marcel Coutier as well? Do we know what exactly that's going to look, look like? Well, we're, we're recording this before Ulster send out their squad update. Um, so we don't, we don't know about this week in particular. Roddy Grant wasn't very forthcoming yesterday, keeping his cards close to his chest. But certainly over, over the next couple of months... You would imagine that they'll probably be quite mixed in how Ulster get their players back because once the guys go away, Ulster have a few Monday night games and when it, whenever you are able to have a game after the international game, if your players haven't been used, you'll you'll get them released, obviously, to get some game time. But at the same time, Ireland love to have all their guys down in camp early in the week. So you really don't know how, how they're going to break it down yeah. in terms of who is released and who isn't. But... As I said earlier, this is a great chance for Ulster to turn to some of their young guys and give them game time. You know, we know Stuart McCluskey is a class player. We know John Cooney is a is a great scrum half. But who who do Ulster have coming behind them? Well, at scrum half you've got Lewis Finley and Nathan Doak, who are really exciting prospects. At centre you've got Stuart Murr, who is really highly touted. So there's a chance to give them game time. Take a look at what they've they've got to offer because. You'll need your squad this year. I said this earlier. In, in any year, or if any year you need your squad to step up, it's this year. So they need to see what they've got at their disposal. And importantly, these guys are impressing in the short time they're getting or in the A games that they're playing. So I think more importantly, you shouldn't be looking at who else will be getting back from their internationals. It will be important. You know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of if you're playing young guys you need to have them playing beside an experienced player and who better to put them beside than an international. Um, but I think there's also an excitement of, let's see what these young guys have to offer whenever whenever the internationals are away. And then whenever the internationals come back, you say, well, you know, you've got a guy coming behind you who's been impressing in your absence, mm-hmm. so time to step up your game because yeah. competition breeds success. Yeah. I think this season is almost like the start of last season, given the lateness. It's a world, there was a World Cup this time last year, so you're in a very similar situation as to yeah. what going through the season. So you're missing your international players. So it's almost like a mirror in a way. And Adam's right; there will be opportunities will come up. I suppose we have to wait to see, to a degree, a who who makes the who makes the squad, and b how will that. With the new with, with the new Monday night fixtures and things like that, how will that integrate with will players be released back to clubs and when and that mm. type of thing? You know, um, yeah. but it is as we talked about at the start, strength and depth. This is the opportunity to see. Um, and Ulster have had we've seen talent come through in the past, and there will be talent coming through again. And it's important to nurture that now, so that you have them for big game experiences whenever they're needed. Do you think, Richard, it impacts Ulster's chances of success a little less than it may have done in seasons gone by? Like I remember maybe two years ago we always talked about the big drop-off that Ulster had when they were missing their internationals, but it seems like that is becoming less and less of an issue. Is that is that fair? That is fair. I, th- I think it is. I mean, if you go back to this time last year when you did see some guys getting opportunities and, and Ulster weathered that storm, if you like. Um, 
even you look at the selections over recent weeks with Eric O'Sullivan and Tommy O'Toole starting in a semi-final ahead of two, well, season internationals, if you like, Marty Moore and, and Jack McGrath, both Irish internationals, although Marty hasn't been uh, in the green jersey for a while. So I think, yes, it impacts less um, because of the way Ulster have integrated everybody as well. Uh, mm. um, it goes back to, you usually answer as the example, everybody coming in knows what their job is when they come into that team, and it's like seamless. And uh, I know... Yeah, yeah, and the thing somebody's getting maybe making their debut or making his first start, having a, having come off the bench into the big scene, um, there will be nerves and things there. But you no, know, Gareth, I think you're right. The impact is less. You're not as concerned as you would have been two years ago about how are else are going to start this season because they don't have X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. If we zoom in then a little bit on one particular player who might be missing, Richard Tanswell asks, given. Stuart McCloskey's importance to the way Ulster play, his workload over the past five games, and hopefully, hopefully, adding to his international caps over the next couple of months, who will fill in the the number twelve shirt whenever he's gone on? Um, Ulster have a few ways they can go with this. Uh, James Hume, to me, seems like the most obvious one. He would shift over from thirteen. And they need to fill in any number of players from uh, Matt Faddis to Lee Ludic, potentially give Stuart Murray a debut. Uh, whenever Luke Marshall comes back, you'd imagine he would uh, slot into that 13 jersey. Uh, you could put Ian Madigan there, keep Hume at 13. Uh, so Ulster have options there, but none of them will play the same game as McCluskey. You know, McCluskey is very much unique in that he provides you with such a great power uh, an offloading game that Ulster do rely on quite heavily so it's a chance to change things up a bit it's a chance to put someone in there you know if you put Madigan in there you really have that playmaking ability from 12 mm-hmm. if you put Hume in there it's a bit more like McCluskey but I think you've got a bit more of that that pace and that agility uh, from 12 so it, it's a chance for Ulster just to see a few more options at 12. I, I don't think any of them are necessarily going to displace McCluskey at 12 um, unless some of them have an absolute stormer while, while he's away. Mm-hmm. But certainly, I think it's a chance to look at, OK, how can we change things up in games? You know, it, it's a chance to see if we are in a big game later on in, in the season and things maybe aren't going quite so well in the back line. Is this something we can change? Is this something we can try and adjust later in the game to try and keep teams on their toes? So it's a chance just to see what Ulster have right now. Um, personally, I go for Hume at 12. I think he's been in amazing form since lockdown. He started quite slowly, but then really picked up uh, over the last sort of three, four games uh, that they played. Uh, and I think certainly so far he's been one of the guys who has uh, who would deserve to keep his shirt going into the start of this season. Yeah, yeah. You could look Marshall there again as another option who's been absent. I know I'm not too sure what his injury uh, recovery is at the moment, but mm-hmm. he's another one that you could look at that's slotting into the centre. Certainly the same with Madigan, I think, was looking at not just the out-half position, but other positions in the back line, Adam, as you said there. And I mean, we've seen Madigan playing that role for Leinster. I think he, he did come off the bench for Ireland and play at 12 at some time, I think. Possibly, you know. So um, there are options there. And, and certainly James Hume has probably, we, 
questioned them against Connacht and Leinster and the and, and the two games when they came back from playing, but certainly in the certainly in the Pro um, 14 semi-final and final, he um, he certainly showed that he's more than capable of dropping. And I think mm-hmm. he probably is the, the better option. Yeah, human and, uh, and and Marshall in there is a very a very strong uh, centre pairing when you you think that teams are going to be missing their international players. So that would uh, uh, that. Was- I think Matt Fattis is someone that we've seen playing on the wing and fullback. I would maybe like to see him get a couple of runs in the, in, in the midfield. I think he maybe offers more there yeah. than he does in the back three. Okay. He, he's he's an interesting option. I still have a little bit of concern about him defensively. Um, yeah. And I did, 13 is such a key position defensively. I remember Jared, Jared Payne being praised for what he brought to the team defensively at 13. And... You know, whenever you're playing outside centre, you're so important to the communication and the direction of how you're playing defensively. And so far from Fadas, I'm really big on the offensive potential that he brings. I love what he does with ball in hand, but on the other side of the ball, I still think he hasn't quite shown Ulster that he's secure enough defensively to play 13. Now, he started at 13 in the A game uh, in Dublin last week, but he had to shift pretty quickly to 15, I think, because uh, there was an injury early on. I, I know Hayden yeah. Hyde came on and shifted into the centre and Fattis went to fullback, I believe. Yeah, so I think what, what, they, what they were probably trying to do was trying to see Fattis at 13, and maybe that was the intention, that Hume would shift to 12 and Fattis would go to 13 to start this season when McCluskey mm-hmm. was away. But, you know, Ulster have options. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. they have a lot of guys versatile in that back in that back line that they can move about so it'll be interesting to see how they, they approach yeah. the first few games absolutely of course it's also will we be missing will Ulster be missing McCluskey for a lot of it well I think it's... they've got I think they've got to I, I think I think if he's not getting called up now then I, I think there's not much else he can do yeah, I think yeah. Same, if he doesn't get called up at this stage if he it's... wasn't called up it would be yeah I think, I think he's been so hard done by and, and in the past, over the past four or five years, you know, yeah. um, I think he has been hard done by. But um, I don't know. Um, he he didn't really feature pre-lockdown, so mm. it's hard to know. You might not have the problem. No. Hopefully, I'm hoping for Stuart's sake because I think he does deserve the opportunity to yeah. put the jersey on once again. But Ulster may not have the problem to deal with, yeah. unfortunately. The Ireland squads will, will certainly be interesting to keep a little eye on. So we mentioned Stuart Murray there as somebody who could potentially step up in that position. And Roddy Grant was talking up the prospects of David McCann in this press conference yesterday. So which of the current academy prospects, if you were pushed and you had to pick one, who is going to make the biggest impact this season? Well, I'll allow you a couple if you're indecisive. Who do you think, think Richard's going to make the big impact? Well, I think Stuart and David are, are, are two that you would say, yes, they definitely will be. Um, this is their breakthrough year, if you like. I mean, McCann's been outstanding at un, at Irish under 21, or under, well, I'm not too sure, just mm-hmm. under 20. Under 20 level, yeah. I think he's, he's captained them. So he's he's been, he's shown his, his progress. Um, those two for me, I suppose haven't been away from the scene a wee bit, maybe I'm not 100% sure on, on who are the other ones. I mean, Ethan McElroy is one that um, you would like to think would like to show a bit more um, 
Aaron Saxton seems to be hidden away a bit. He's with, is, is, uh, I think he's still with the Sevens. He started um, started the A game on uh, on Friday. Right. Yes. So I didn't see have... the game. I did see the win, and it's always good to see an Ulster team beating an Leinster team, no matter what the level is. And that maybe <laughs> is something that's important for the future. Um, from an Ulster point of view, that yeah. they were able to deliver against um, a Leinster A team. Um, just, just to go back there, Gareth, um, on my. Uh, complete ignorance of the academy. Tom Stewart is one player that I know from a couple of years ago was highly talked of. Um, and he would be another one that I would hope that will have shown some progress. Um, he was he, He's well thought of within the, the organisation. And I mean, I know Rory Best even talked highly of him, so that's probably as good a kudos as you could get. Mm. No, absolutely. So Adam, what do you think? Who would you pick? Yeah, Stuart was going to be my pick. Um, I've heard a lot of great things about him. Whenever you look at the senior squad, Adam McBurney's had a lot of promise, and I still think he does, but he just hasn't really quite shown it so far. John Andrews has been around for a while and hasn't really progressed from that backup hooker. There's a chance for Stuart to come in and sort of make a few waves and really stake a claim for some game time in there. Um, for me, it's hard to look past McCann, isn't it? You know, all the potentials there. He's been bigged up so much. Uh, you heard Roddy Grant singing his praises on Monday. So whenever you hear all that, it's hard not to get excited, especially considering he plays flanker, where Ulster have been crying out for a real quality back rower for so many years. You know, the last back rower to come through Ulster's system who you've really thought he could go on to do great things is probably Ferris. I don't know, did, did Pollock come after Ferris, or would Ferris have been before that? That's kind of before my time. Um, but yeah, but then you, so some of the backs have some great potential as well. You know, I, I know Stuart Murr's on a development contract now, but he's shown so much potential. Hayden Hyde's apparently doing great things with the under-20s as yeah. well. Um, so I, I think for the first time in a long time, I think Ulster have a crop of academy players who are ready to come through. We're not just talking about players who you'll see maybe in three years. We're actually talking about guys who you're saying, well, actually, they could actually start playing games in the senior side coming up very shortly. Um, even guys like Callum Reid and uh, potentially, say, uh, Ethan McElroy that you mentioned there, you know, there are guys who are ready to make the step up, who are ready to really put pressure on, uh, on their senior counterparts. And now the onus is on them. You know, whenever they're called up to the senior squad to train with them, to really put some pressure, to really say, look, I'm not happy just to be here training. I want to play because these guys are the future of Ulster Rugby. They need them to step up and they need them to start providing that squad depth. Yeah. I think that other, I mean, you were talking about the power shift and stuff and you're looking for a powerful player. I think, is it Cormac, um, I can't pronounce his surname, but... Yeah. Uh, is it Chukwu? That's the one. Uh, yeah. Good man up. Um, I think he has huge potential and like a Stuart McCluskey if you like yeah well they certainly have uh, plenty of options there for players who could step up for a change uh, one of the questions actually came in who was it asked Big Jim asked uh, will we see any young back rowers coming through this year so as we say David McCann's the one with probably the, the major expectations although there's Azar Allison is that, if that's how you pronounce his name um, Azar 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 Allison it's close enough uh, who uh, 
is well well thought of as well so yeah it's going to be interesting to see particularly over the next couple of months so I, I just i just like to throw in one more before before i forget Marcus oh, we're just Ray's we're just naming one. everybody at this stage well, covering no, no, all bases no, I know, it's just I, I completely forgot about him because he's uh, been bumped up onto his uh, development contract mm-hmm. and i'm looking at the academy list here at the moment so he, he wasn't in my thoughts marcus ray uh is someone who's been in the system for a while. Yeah. I've been saying for a long time, Ulster have been crying out for that open side flanker, that real breakdown threat open side flanker that they haven't had for a while. They have guys who are kind of that 6.5. I'd say Reedy and Jordy Murphy both fall into that category of good breakdown threats, but it's not their, uh, it's not their modus operandi. It's not their real strength. Marcus Ray is a proper Groundhog 7. He's the first one that I've seen come through the system since Chris Henry, you know, who is really good at jackling, who's really good at picking his moment and getting over the ball. I think he's someone that Ulster should really be looking at for specific situations uh, in games where they can put him into that 7 jersey and say, go cause havoc at the breakdown. Go really make it tough on teams to get quick ball. Um, And he's someone that... That I really think they should be taking a look at this year as having him in the squad, sort of in the same role that Josh Van Der Fleer has with Leinster, of go be the tackling breakdown threat that we really need you to be. Mm, yeah. You're putting on Marcus Ray under serious amount of pressure there, haven't you? <laughs> I, I, I think he's a cracking player. I really do. No, I actually agree with you. I, I have seen him play, and I think he did play with Matty in an Ulster game, didn't he? He did against Leinster. It was the one where he came on off the bench and was man of the match. That's right. Yes, there you go. There you go, Gareth. There we are now. You learn something new every day. So, uh, Ulster A, as we mentioned, uh, beat Leinster A on Friday night. 29-14 was the result. The tries came from Bill Johnson, Matt Pavis, Craig Gilroy and Adam McBurney, who was the captain. So, the young, well, the young players that started that game, because Roddy Grant said yesterday that players who were involved in that will be involved in this weekend's Pro 14, Pro 12, whatever, opener at home to Benetton. So the young players that played that one were Ethan McElroy, Aaron Sexton, um, who else do I have there, Dave McCann, and Stuart Murray. So maybe that gives us an indication as to who the the coaches are targeting for an immediate uh, step into the senior squad. But as I say, Roddy said that a few of the guys... He didn't say the young players, but the few of the guys involved in that will be involved this weekend. So what can we expect, or what are you expecting, Adam, uh, team-wise, uh, for, for the Benetton game? It's a tough one, um, because you have to get off to a good start here. Playing at home, first game of the season, coming off five games where you haven't shown your best, you have to not necessarily send out a statement. You know, It's first game of the season, you don't need to scare the pants off any other team right now, but you need to at least say here we've found some form over the last week off so I think you've got to go full strength in your first game I don't think there's uh, any chance for experimentation here in terms of throwing a young guy in from the start or anything like that Um, maybe on the bench you might see David McCann on the bench you might say you might see Ethan McElroy on the bench or or something like that I, I don't know but certainly first game up at home against the Benetton side where you're never quite sure what you're going to get from them uh, for first time up. You know, every, every year we talk about Benetton could be that banana skin team, but you don't really know 
are they going to be the team that trips up a lot of sides or are they going to be the team that surprises the team every so often so I think you've just got to got to put your full team out you got to make sure you get that win especially at home whenever all the stats from the Premiership have been you know that home teams don't have that same advantage because there are no fans so got to make sure you get that win first up and then once you start getting a few wins under your belt you can look at a few games down the line uh, especially at home where you can start blooding a few guys uh, but for, for now yeah go go full strength this week I don't think they have any other choice mm. What do you think Richard do you think Ulster could uh, afford to make a, a few changes in this one and still win well there's obviously going to be a few changes it's not going to be the same squad that took on uh, to lose in the last game but um, what think, do you expect I think you're, uh, you would probably want to introduce some of the newer faces from the bench, if anything, you need to start strong. And Benetton, we, <laughs> because of the way that rugby's been this year, it's very hard to see any coverage of of them. I mean, they, they did okay to, in their couple of games that they had to play, but it's very difficult to judge, and you just don't know. Yeah. And we've known that Ulster have almost tripped up against them in previous occasions. I don't expect them to this weekend. I mean, I expect them on Friday night to win. Um, I think they will go a full metal jacket as they can, but they will be aware of what's coming up. And I think you need to prepare the likes of David McCann or Stuart Moore, right? You're going to be maybe stepping up away to the Ospreys or home to the Dragons or away to Cardiff. So let's let's bring them on from the bench. And, you know, if, if Ulster are 25 points good half-time, then you can introduce these guys a wee bit earlier and give them a bit more game time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important, but as Adam says, it's, it's so important to start well. And given the expectations that are there, we expect Ulster to win on Friday night at home. It's a very different home venue. Um, it's going to be quiet. Um, this goes back to the good old days of, of, of Ulster playing in front of a man and two dogs, as they used to say. <laughs> a wee man with a cap at the back of the old Ravenhill stand. Um, and I think it's an opportunity maybe to, to, just to mention, you know, Ulster, the Kingspan, like, like all the Irish provinces, they have venues which can accommodate numbers in a safe way. Um, we have to respect what's going on in the background. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Ulster, could, there's no reason why you couldn't have 3,000 fans in a safe mm-hmm. way in the Kingspan Stadium. And let's hope, because we are concerned about what the IRFU Chief, Chief Executive Philip Brown has said, that you know, the provinces could go to the wall by Christmas if there's not fans in, and that's mm-hmm. a really... It's a really worrying thing, and it's it's great to be talking about a new season, but it's also worrying what's going on in the background. And yeah. I think if the Northern Ireland government can turn around and say, "Look, let's find a way of getting three thousand fans into the Kingspan Stadium," it should be done, and it can be done safely. It's it, it's probably easy to do it and keep people apart. Yeah, no, certainly something needs to happen. It's the the way the Irish League are talking. Then same the same vein currently that if sports teams and yes. in, in all sports don't get fans in the grounds in the coming weeks not even months and or or there isn't some sort of financial help from the authorities then there's going to be an awful lot of sporting bodies that uh, that don't make it through this but um we can't I mean, we can't let irish, that happen i mean i saw the irish cup final i mean i watched it unfortunately my my old my old team korean didn't quite make it beaten by those <laughs> ballerina man but or played a ballerina um but you saw 250 fans from each mm-hmm. club allowed into um, the National Stadium at Windsor Park, and uh, you know, I thought that was brilliant that that could happen. Um, yeah. Let's hope 
that we see fans at all rugby venues. I mean, I watched mm-hmm. Harlequins and, and Wasps last night. I've turned, I've turned my attention to a lot of Premiership rugby recently, just because it happened beyond a Monday night. But, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, Chris Robshaw's last game for Harlequins, and he comes out into an empty stadium, and it's real. It's really yeah. sad to see things like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know there's a there's a situation going on that's, that's much more important, but you know, Harlequins and Wasp. It, they had planned to have fans at it, and then the new regulations came in and it had to stop. So let's hope yeah. that we can see even small numbers of rugby fans. And I know it costs money to stage games, and maybe even 3,000 fans wouldn't even cover the cost of, mm. of putting the floodlights on at the Kingspan Stadium or any venue. But, you know, it would be nice to see some fans in. Yeah, no, certainly would when it's uh, it's safe to to do so. But that's pretty much us out of, uh, out of time for this week. So... Ulster, of course, play Benetton on Friday night. That one kicks off at 8.15 and we'll have all the build-up um, live blog during the match and post-match reaction afterwards on the website and in the Belfast Telegraph and the Sunday Life. And then we'll be back next week for a look back at that one and a look ahead to the trip to Ospreys. For now, though, from Richard Mulligan. Thank you very much for having me, guys. It was a pleasure to join you. From Alan McHenry. Cheers, guys. And myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.